0: Welcome to Forecast. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. And good morning and welcome to the Farcast for a special edition on Saturday, February the 3rd. Coming to you this morning uh, here on the Farcast because markets have managed to go down a little bit. We've uh, enjoyed or endured a bit of uh, volatility as uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 665 and three quarter points yesterday. Uh, And we've been, we had kind of a tough week where we gave back a lot of the gains of January. January was up almost 6% on the year for most of the equity indexes. And we've given back some of that. I think it's really important to kind of stop and take a look at some of these things. And here on the FARCAST, we want to make sure that we are with you, our listeners when you need us. So I wanna share thoughts with you about this pullback, what I see underlying, and what I think, uh, tell you what I'm paying attention to, and perhaps uh, what I think markets will be paying attention to in the next couple of weeks. So let's start with, um, uh, of course, remembering that on the forecast, we believe that money is hard to make, and that emotion is the foe Of the long-term investor, if you're feeling scared or anxious or excited and ebullient, you're in a danger zone. So uh, check your emotions. It's uh, it's a great way of telling and and making sure you're not on the verge of making a mistake. So let's take a let's take a look here. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, closed down 665 and three quarter points. That was down 2.54 percent. Now, the S&P was down uh, just around 60 points, which was 2.12%, and the NASDAQ was down 145 points or so, down 1.96%. And w- why am I mentioning those three? Well, I look at all three because the Dow and D- Jones average is, is made up, of course, of only 30 stocks. Um, and, and they're very large cap, big companies, uh, and and it has a unique makeup, and the makeup differs of those 30 stocks from the 500 stocks in the S&P 500 index, and that broader index went down less. And then you have the NASDAQ, which is much larger, but it has a much larger concentration of technology stocks. It doesn't have the same concentration, for uh, instance, of of banking stocks uh, in the NASDAQ. So uh, actually a tech-heavy index actually outperformed arguably maybe more of a blue-chip index in the S&P or the Dow. So anyway, markets have gone down a little bit. You've Now, listeners of The forecast know that we continue to remind listeners that markets indeed go down from time to time. This is very normal. It just hasn't happened since 2008 or 2009 in the financial crisis when the central bank, and the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates and kept them near zero for a, a very long time. And a lot of money was infused into the system, injected into the system. The debt in the United States went in 2007 went from about, was about $10 trillion. So here we are at the beginning of 2018, and it's over $20 trillion. So essentially, we borrowed as a government another $10 trillion, and shoved it into the economy, which is still growing at not much more than 2%. Moreover, the Federal Reserve expanded its balance sheet by almost $4 trillion. Uh, so if you take the debt plus the Fed, that's $14 trillion shoved into an economy, that uh, a GDP, that over that time was around $16 trillion, maybe $17 trillion. So GDP now stands at about $20 trillion we shoved, just think of the numbers, we shoved basically 10 plus another four, so $14 trillion into an economy that averaged about $16 trillion, 14, shoved into $16 trillion economy, and we generated about 2% GDP growth. So lots of cash got shoved in. And if you think about it another way, there's been a lot of fuel uh, that's been pushed into this engine. I used the analogy in 2008 and 2009 that the Federal Reserve was protecting the embers of our campfire, of our economic campfire, of our GDP, of our U.S. economy, uh, protecting those embers of a campfire by surrounding it with a wind barrier of full gasoline cans. And the promise from the Fed was that they would know exactly when they should begin to pull back those full cans of gasoline so that we didn't have explosive inflation. The Fed now is in the process, precisely the process, of pulling back those cans of gasoline and letting the embers and the flames emerge all on their own and make sure that the gasoline cans don't explode. So they've, they've really done a pretty good engin- uh, job of engineering uh, both under Mr. Bernanke and Mrs. Yellen, uh, for an economic recovery. So the Fed has two things they pay attention to, right? They have a dual mandate, is, is what they call it. But one is as pretty much employment, full employment. And the second is price stability. And the Fed has, design, has, has defined price stability as about 2% uh, worth of inflation every year. And basically... Uh, over the years of Mrs. Yellen, she only got to about 1.4 percent inflation every year. So uh, it, inflation, a little bit of inflation is a sign of economic strength. So as you look uh, and you're going to give the Fed a report card, you'd say, well, based on that mandate with unemployment below four, or at four point one percent. Good job there, Mrs. Yellen. On the inflation side, not so much. But take a look at stock markets. Take a look at household net worth in the U.S. Uh, you can take a look at uh, uh, even the bond market and, and housing market. They've all surged. Prices have gone up trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, in fact, between 2008 and the third quarter of 2017, the net worth of U.S. households surged by $56 trillion From trillion, I'm sorry, from $56 trillion, to 97 trillion dollars so basically we've gained 40 trillion dollars it's just incredible to think about that 40 trillion dollars in household net worth since 2008 but remember we've added 10 trillion in debt so we basically we borrowed a whole lot of money uh, probably from the government side and perhaps shifted it to the consumer you all uh listeners uh know uh that One of my very simple, I guess, uh, my very simple thesis about the US economy is that if it is indeed driven about 70% by the consumer, then we need to pay very close attention to the health of the consumer. And can the consumer continue to spend? Well, the consumer has been continuing to spend, and I don't mean to get too bogged down in economics here, but this health of the consumer and what's going on and the increase in interest rates recently uh, is said to have spooked the markets. Basically, Farr disagrees and, and, and Farr wants to tell you why. But when we look at the consumer, the household savings rate went to the lowest it's been um, in well more than 10 years in the month of December. Consumers household saving got to 2.4 percent. Of disposable income, so Americans aren't saving money; they're they're spending, and consumer spending was even higher than their wage growth. Which means, in December and basically in the fourth quarter of 2017, consumers borrowed more, started to borrow more money to fund to fund their consumption. So uh, they were spending, uh, they were borrowing more money, they were saving less money. Uh, and borrowing to buy stuff. So if you think about the consumer, the consumer can only buy stuff uh, a couple of different ways. Uh, they can earn more money. The consumer can earn more money, or the consumer can borrow, right, To uh, or, or spend down from savings, of course. But um, consumers uh, in the U.S., by and large, don't have a lot of savings. I'll come back to that. Anyway, so the consumer... Uh, it, it was it was feeling optimistic, and the consumer was spending, but they weren't spending from wage gains. They were borrowing, uh, and and they were feeling optimistic. But again, uh, you can't just keep that up, right? You just can't keep borrowing and borrowing to fund your economic growth. You have to have wage growth. And I know that our great listeners of the forecast know that. We have been looking at that health of the consumer. And the one thing that I have been worried about over the past year or 18 months or two years is when will the consumer have more money to spend organically, not have to borrow it every 15 minutes? And when will we see wage gains? And it has been a great conundrum for economists over the past year or two in the U.S. because here unemployment is down at 4.1%. We're a lot. Everybody pretty much who wants a job largely has a job. We consider this full employment uh, at this point, but it should be harder. We should see employers have to pay more for workers because basically at four point one percent unemployment, there are not that many people unemployed. Therefore, if I want to hire, I'm going to have to pay more. There's not a supply of workers. There's a greater supply of employers or jobs wanted. So if you have more jobs wanted than you have employees or potential workers, you have to pay more for those workers. But that hasn't been happening. And yet in this week's uh, economic report on employment, we saw wage gains and we saw wage gains come in at a terrific 2.9 percent hourly earnings up 2.9 percent. Far is singing the hallelujah chorus. Markets are going down. The 10 year treasury went up right? The yield went up and the, and, the, and the price of the 10-year treasury went down. And, and that's what a lot of the headlines are saying this morning are spooking the markets. I don't really buy it. And if so, the markets are being, it's a very shallow response by markets. 10-year treasury did get up to 2.85%. The two-year treasury is 2.15%. So there's a, that difference is very flat, right? You're not getting paid much more For the extra eight, for owning that uh, debt for another eight years, uh, 2.15 versus 2.84. When you take a look at the yield on the 30 year treasury, it's only 3.06. So for you to extend your ownership of bonds, basically to loan money to the government, for 10 years they'll pay you 2.85% or so. And if you loan it to them for 30 years, they'll pay you 3.06%. So what I, far says, that's only two-tenths of 1%. Why would you take on another 20 years of having to hold that security and interest rate risk and everything else for two-tenths of 1%? That yield curve is getting very flat. Now that's been a concern of mine. When the yield curve gets flat, the yield curve can invert. And what that means is that the longer rates actually become lower than the shorter rates. So you could see the 30-year Treasury paying less than the 10-year Treasury. And you could see the two-year Treasury uh, uh, paying even more than the 10-year Treasury and the 30-year Treasury. And when we see that, it is a fairly consistent predictor of recession. In fact, nine of the last 13 yield yield curve inversions have led to recession. So uh, I'm worried about that. But the thing that I I guess I think there's more good news than bad news, and you all know that I'm uh, particularly cautious almost all the time. But here's where I see good news. The tax cuts that have been put through uh, will generate earnings growth numbers. They just will. Will they be inflationary? Yes, maybe they will be. Will the Fed overreact? Yes, maybe they will. But those fundamental earnings will Uh, increase as we go forward I believe and therefore I think we have some pretty good support fundamentally for stock prices where they are are we due for a correction yes we're due for a correction look if this thing corrects 20% we're still above Dow 20,000 I mean uh, portfolios look pretty good at Dow 20,000 nobody uh, nobody was really wailing or gnashing teeth at Dow 20,000 And I think we get distracted by too many of these silly headlines, you know, that are supposed to get us all hyped up. I mean, we've got this GOP memo alleging abuses and surveillance of the ex-Trump, you know, advisor. I got it. I look at it. I read it. I can't really understand if there's a smoking gun there or not, frankly. And I've read a bunch of the memos, even around the memo, and I don't quite get it. I listened to NBC's Chuck Todd this morning do an analysis of exactly what would happen and the, the, the string of events that necessary uh, to actually make this conspiracy theory work. And it did seem very implausible, according to Chuck Todd. It doesn't seem to hold much water. Okay, but it's a distraction, right? It's just a big headline out there making you worry about things. Another headline I saw this morning was Bitcoin plunges below $8,000. Well, Really? Who cares? I mean, I don't know. I suppose if you own Bitcoin, you care desperately. But it was $2,000 in August for one Bitcoin. It's already back up to $9,175 per Bitcoin. Uh, I understand how blockchain basically works. I understand how these Bitcoins are traded and I understand how they relate to other fiat currencies and sovereign currencies around the world. I get that, but I still don't know that there's any way to really value these things other than what somebody's willing to pay for one or or accept for one. So uh, but but that's just one of those hype headlines. So what do we have in the economy? The economy gained U.S. gained over 200,000, 200,000 jobs um, uh, this past month. That's terrific. Hourly earnings are up. The stock market is at pretty good high levels. So what we need to watch are the flattening of this yield curve, if the Fed becomes too aggressive. So as I look at this yield curve, you know, let me look back a year. So the 10-year Treasury a year ago was 2.4%. Now it's 285. The two-year Treasury now is 2.15. That's up about a full percent from a year ago when it was 1.21. So that two-year Treasury, so what are you hearing there? that the two-year is up almost a full percentage point, and the 10-year is up about four-tenths. So the short end, do you hear what I'm saying? The short end of the yield curve, those short maturities are coming up in yield and falling in price. And what do we know about those yields? That the Federal Reserve is intent upon raising rates. Uh, everyone expects, I mean, 95% of economists surveyed expects three expect three to four Fed rate hikes of a quarter point in 2018. So that means that those short rates could go up by three quarters of a percent to one full percentage point, which again, would take that 10-year treasury then up another three quarters, we'd be moving up to three and a half percent to three and three quarter percent. And that would take mortgage rates, if mortgage rates are around 4.3 or something like that, 4.1, 4.2 in here, uh, mortgage rates will go up to about five and a quarter. Uh, if if we really get uh, 100 basis points, we'll see mortgage rates up at about five and a quarter. And we've already seen mortgage uh, applications start to slow, even as rates have gotten this high. So I'm going to start to wrap it up here. These interest rates higher. We've had an economy uh, that has survived and has grown based on very low interest rates. The Fed is increasing interest rates as the economy is actually improving. The Fed can raise interest rates high enough fast enough, if they do it too fast, they can stall the economic growth and throw us into recession that 's the real worry behind the economy. I actually am not that i 'm nervous because I 'm always nervous, but i've got to tell you i 'm not that nervous. This tax cut uh, puts enough money back into corporations we 're seeing full unemployment there's a lot of cash around. If these wage gains hold then that means that the economy can really start to grow and can endure these higher interest rates. We have to see middle class America have wage gains because economic growth has been very imbalanced. There's been a concentration all at one end where all of the wage gains, by and large, have gone to the top 10 percent of earners in the U.S. Now, that's not a social comment. And please don't think I'm a communist. I'm not. Uh, but if I have all of the water in the Hoover Dam and I only have a garden hose with which to drain it, doesn't make any difference how much water I have, does it? All the water in the Hoover Dam and only a garden hose to drain it, doesn't matter. If I put all the money in the hands of the top 10%, they can't move it fast enough. Economically, we need more money and more hands. So if we have a little bit of wage growth, and by the way, middle class in the U.S. really hasn't seen wage gains Uh, adjusted for inflation since 1997. So wage gains here are good so far. It's going to generate more economic activity. It's going to see a greater velocity of money. And it's going to be the the focus needs to be on new chairman, uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who actually takes the oath of office today uh, as to whether he can actually tap the brakes at the right time without locking up and coming to a skid. So there, there are some things to be concerned about, but markets are still 25,520 for the Dow, 2762 for the S&P. Interest rates are still low. Look, this market can correct. Let it correct. This is not a big problem. And when you if you start to get nervous when markets start to drop, think. Uh, I always suggest to people: Do you think Warren Buffett's going to panic if markets fall 20%? No. What's Warren Buffett going to do if they fall 20%? Warren Buffett's going to buy. So uh, we at Farm Miller in Washington have been talking with clients for some time about a potential decline. Uh, I think uh, that this may be the beginning of it. Uh, I hope it's not a short lived flash. I hope that we actually, uh, you know, Buffett says when the tide goes out, you get to see who's been swimming naked. Uh, we, we, we uh, I think, will benefit from shaking uh, loose some of the weaker hands in the market and we will proceed and grow apace as as the future evolves, if you believe in the U.S. and the U.S. economy, which we do. So we have positioned our portfolios uh, to make sure, as I've said before, that our clients will have a chair when the music stops. Sounds to me that the volumes uh, are uh, uh, dropping here, uh, that the CODA perhaps to this current uh, bit of a run is playing, and that we're going to uh, have a bit of a pullback. And my message to you, our great listeners, and my friends this morning, don't uh, panic about this. Don't worry about this. Keep a cool head uh, and uh, know that markets go down and that there are good things going on in the economy, uh, uh, that wage gains are there, that interest rates are low, and that we're going to see stronger fundamentals for U.S. corporations, uh, I believe very much so uh, this year. So watch that yield curve. And of course, listen to the forecast. We're here to help you. Kenny and I are going to be back next week, and we're going to go through markets and what he's seeing on the floor of the exchange. We're going to talk about what's going on in Washington. We're going to talk a little bit about the Powell Fed. Um, And of course, if we can help you navigate your portfolio and your investments and your financial future, please give us a call at Far Miller, and Washington. Um, our disclaimer is we make no recommendations to buy or sell any securities on the Farcast. If you think you've heard anything that makes you want to change your portfolio, please contact your professional financial advisor. We make uh, no recommendations of any nature like that on the Farcast. I really appreciate you joining me this morning. I hope that this has helped. If you need any help, email me at mfar at farmiller.com, mfar at farmiller.com. I'm, I'm happy to answer questions, and if I if I can't, I'll try and find somebody smart who can. Thanks so much. I hope this has helped. Good luck out there. We've got an interesting week ahead. And by the way, markets, one rule on Wall Street is markets don't bottom on Fridays. We'll see if that's true. But uh, I expect some further weakness here. Don't let that upset you. Hang in. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this together. In Washington, D.C., I'm Michael Farr.